Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to uh, contact me, you can surely do that on any of the contact links and the description of the show. You could also call the listener hotline. The number 303-832-0217. It is a free call, uh, I think, if your cell phone allows that. Uh, today on the show, I have what I think is one of the most powerful interviews I have ever done, and I have done hundreds of interviews. Today, I speak with Ken Snyder. Ken is a vehicle technology expert, but he's also the executive director of the Shingo Institute at Utah State University. And Ken's adult daughter, about four years ago, Katie, was killed by a drunk driver. This is right after his daughter gave birth to twin premature babies. And obviously this has had a major effect on Ken and his life. And that event drove Ken to work alongside the group Mothers Against Drunk Driving to advocate for life-saving vehicle technology systems that are available apparently right now, to be installed in all new cars with some tweaks. And I wanted to know how all of this works. And really, it's it's all because of the recently passed Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. This is that legislation that is more commonly known to everybody as the infrastructure bill, the one that will provide money for roads and bridges and other types of infrastructure. But we, what we haven't heard much about in this legislation is the part in there which includes an advanced impaired driving technology provision, mandating automakers include advanced vehicle technology standards. Now, Mothers Against Drunk Driving say this could be the most important legislation in terms of lives saved in their 41-year history of advocacy in trying to prevent drunk driving. Now, I want to know more about what is this technology? How does it work? Why do they think it will eliminate drunk driving altogether? Again, Ken Snyder is the vehicle technology expert. He's the executive director of the Shingo Institute, and he knows more about this than just about anyone. Ken, thank you so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you inviting me. All right, Ken, before we get into the technology and why it's so important, let's find out about why this is important to you. As the father of uh, two daughters myself, uh, I am saddened to hear about the loss of your daughter to a drunk driver. Yes, uh, my daughter, Katie, it's been a little over four years now. She had just given birth to uh, super preemie twin girls that were born at a little over 25 weeks and just barely over a pound each. And they were in the NICU and she was driving home from visiting her twins in the hospital and was hit and killed by a drunk driver, leaving her girls without a mother and her boys at home and her husband without a wife and mother and devastating the family. And, and uh, it, it, it was a devastating loss to all of us. And when I, this is the personal experience. When we got the family stabilized, I called, uh, I, I run an executive education program, the Shingo Institute, as you mentioned, and and many of the uh, car company suppliers use our model to drive excellence within the organizations. And so I started calling my friends in, in the, uh, particularly the tier one auto electronic suppliers. These are the people who make the brains of the cars, right? 
I started calling my friends and saying, isn't there a technology that can prevent drunk driving? And they started educating me on a whole bunch of options to eliminate drunk driving and got me up to speed. And when I got felt comfortable that I understood the technology well enough to explain it to, to for example, members of Congress, um, I called up Matt and said, you want to go in, in on this with me? And they said yes. And so I started advocating with Matt and with other uh, victims, uh, survivors, if you will, of, of victims um, who had family members killed by, by drunk drivers. And uh, we successfully got Congress to listen to us and pass legislation to implement these technologies on vehicles. It, it must be nice on some level to find and, and have some comfort in this community now that you have found so out of something tragic, maybe something beneficial can happen. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. We all say amongst ourselves that, that we belong to a club that none of us want to belong to. We never wanted, we never signed up to lose family members. And uh, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. Um, and I've heard so many tragic stories. Mine is an awful story, but then so is everybody else's who has lost a loved one to, to a drunk driver. And to realize that we can stop this, and, and we could have probably stopped it had we had known and had the willpower to do it earlier, we probably could have stopped it a few years ago. And, and to me, every, every day that goes on where people die from drunk driving crashes is a tragedy because we can stop it now. Yeah, it is, and I'm I'm definitely sorry for your loss. And uh, how how are the uh, thank twin, you? How are the twins doing now? And how is the, the, uh, the the twins are doing incredibly well. No repercussions from you know long term repercussions from being super preemies. One of them had uh, had to have heart surgery when she was nine days old, and uh, ended up having to eat through a, a feeding tube for the first couple of years of her life, but. But other than having a hoarse voice and, and learning to talk two years later, uh, she's doing fine. Her twin sister's doing great. And and uh, our, our son-in-law was fortunate to find a woman willing to take up take on being the mother to a whole family. And, and she has just been an angel. And, and it's, I found it's easy to love somebody who loves your grandkids. <laughs> Definitely. Well, that, that is pleasing my heart. Let's now look at this new legislation, because most people, I think, are only hearing about the billions and billions going to bridges and the billions going to electric charging stations and the other money yep. going to other things, right? <laughs> what exactly in this legislation will help prevent drunk driving? So there's the legislation calls for a technology for the implementation of technology that will prevent drunk driving crashes. Um, we as at MAD are technology neutral in our uh, response outlining the different technologies that are available that we submitted to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration or NHTSA. We outlined three broad categories of technology and, and lumped the different technologies into one of those three categories. So maybe it'd be good if I just reviewed those three categories. And I think that would be helpful for people to understand what options are out there that NHTSA will have to consider. The, the first category is what is, is best called, I think, driving performance monitoring technology. This is technology that is on the outside of the vehicle. And we see it commonly today in things like lane assist and blind spot recognition, backup cameras, front-facing radar and LIDAR, 
and so on. Those are all part of a system um, typically called an ADAS system, which I think is automated driver safety assist. Something has all those in there. I don't remember exactly what the acronym is for, but you can look it up. But it's it's uh, almost all new cars have some form of an ADAS system on it and have these cameras and sensors on the outside of the car. So let me just use lane assist as one example. Almost all drunk driving crashes prior to that, the drunk driver is driving recklessly. And if you look at the lane assist technology that is on this part of these safety systems that are on new cars today, the, the car can detect whether the driver is driving recklessly. Are you crossing too many lanes? Are you cutting off people in your blind spot? Are you almost hitting things all the time? And, and there's multiple incidents of that in almost every drunk driving crash before the crash happens and somebody dies. I'll use the example of our daughter, Katie. The drunk driver was driving 95 miles an hour on a city boulevard. It's a three lanes each way. Uh, sideswiped a car, almost rear-ended another car, swerved out of the way of hitting the car, hit a barricade across the shoulder on the right side of the road, then veered across the shoulder and three lanes of traffic, hit the median, leaped into the air, uh, catapulted into the air, and came down on top of Katie, driving the opposite direction, killing her instantly. So any one of those swerves, any one of the side swipe almost crashing into the car in front of it, hitting the barricade, should have stopped that. And it's reckless driving that the car can sense because of the sensors and would be able to, in essence, park the car to the side of the road and say, this person is impaired, they're driving recklessly, they're not able to drive safely, we're going to pull the car over to the side of the road. And, and that kind of technology is on almost all new cars already. It is only a software issue. The cars need to be programmed to recognize reckless driving. And when it senses reckless driving, to pull the car over to the side of the road. Okay, so that's the first category of technology would be driving performance monitoring technology. The second technology that we outlined in, in our uh, brief that we sent to NHTSA is driver monitoring technology. This is technology that is on the interior of the vehicle. For example, cameras that are pointed at the driver and can look at the driver and see if the driver is even paying attention to what's going on on the road. Most drunk drivers don't see things until it's very late. So for example, in the case of the, the woman that killed our daughter, she, you know, she may have been aware that side swiped a car. She may have been aware at the very last minute that she almost crashed into a car in front of her. But the fact that she came so close to hitting the car in front of her means she probably wasn't paying attention. Most drunk drivers don't pay attention and the car can see the v the obstacles in front and if the driver doesn't see them that means the driver is impaired the cameras can also look at the eyes and see if the eyes are dilated as a drunk person's eyes are and so on so they can there's also some sensors that are available out there that can measure alcohol content from the sweat and you, they can input these sensors into the steering wheel and sense that these are all technologies that monitor the condition of the driver and can tell if the driver is drunk and if the driver's drunk, once again, pull the car over to the side of the road and park it there. The third area of technology is good old-fashioned alcohol detection technology. And this is similar to the interlock technology, although it's different because interlock technology requires 
that the driver breathe into a tube before they can start the car. And it's it's fairly common for DUI offenders to be court mandated that they have to install an interlock system in their car and use just that car and breathe into the tube before they have a right to to be able to drive again. Um, and we're not talking about interlock technology with this. We're talking about passive, meaning the driver doesn't have to do anything different than they normally do when they get in the car and start it up. But it, these the systems that we we look at. One is a federally funded system called DADS. What we've seen out in industry is is right now superior to that, um, and it 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 sucks in the air through pinholes that are in the steering wheel, sucks in the air and analyzes the breath content of the driver can tell whether it's above 0.08 or not. And if it's above 0.08, you know, the car refuses to go. And, and that technology is also available. So there's those three different categories, the driving performance monitoring technology, the driver monitoring technology, and the alcohol detection technology. So you really would need some kind of a sophisticated computer program in the vehicle already that can take all of this data as you're talking about, be able to calculate it on a different level than just the individual uh, speed, lane assist, um, the breath technologies you said from the yeah. steering wheel. So you would really need to take all of these systems and put them together in some kind of an algorithm to bring it together to then say, all right, this person appears to be either uh, drowsy, impaired, or, dr impaired, or, or yeah. something is happening yeah. with this person that needs to stop. And then does the car then just turn off, turn itself to the side of no, the road? I mean, how, so, how does that work? So the, the the shutdown procedures that are so this technology is already, for example, the 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 driver monitoring and the driving performance monitoring and the appropriate shutdown procedure is already programmed into several vehicles that are on the road today. Um, that, for example, Volvo has it, and there's a nice video that we feature in in the RFI that we submitted to NHTSA from, from Volvo's website. It's also on, on standard now on Mercedes and BMW, Jaguar Land Rover, Subaru, and so on. The technology is already out there. And, and what it does, for example, and, and I don't know exactly what the algorithm is, and it might be different for different companies, but when it detects reckless driving, the car now will pull the car over to the side of the road. And in essence, I, you've probably seen the commercials about self-parking cars. You put, press a button on your key fob and it'll park the car for you. Sure. It's, in, it's in essence the same technology. It'll look around the car using the sensors to see if there's anything. It'll safely pull the car over to the side of the road, park it there, and, and it, can, it can contact like the OnStar or it can also just... It can uh, just turn on the flashers, uh, d depending upon the, the automaker. They do different things, but, but they can safely park the car and then notify or create an emergency uh, notice of some sort that the car is parked on the side of the road. I'm speaking with Ken Snyder. He's a vehicle technology expert and executive director of the Shingo Institute. We're talking about possibly ending drunk driving with vehicle technology that's already in your car. When, when you're talking about Volvos and BMWs and some of the nicer cars with this technology already in there, it's not, though, necessarily already part of a standard car, let's say uh, the Nissan Rogue or some of the less expensive yep. vehicles that uh, a lot of people will be buying. Not everybody can go out and buy a BMW or a Volvo or a, or a Lexus. So, so is this the kind of technology or will this legislation help put this kind of technology in all cars? 
So, so the level two ADAS system that that I mentioned under the driver performance, the driving performance monitoring technology is standard on almost all new cars. Um, the one piece that might be missing in some of the the less expensive cars is the ability for the for uh, steering control. That's the one thing we've seen missing right now on some vehicles, but most vehicles have that too. So. This technology exists on most new cars today, the driving performance technology. Um, and so it's just a matter of software and programming it. it it's not an additional hardware that they're adding to the, the, the vehicle. It's already there. It just needs the software. Uh, it needs the algorithms input. Uh, what they input into it right now is being determined by the automakers that have installed it. But what we're calling for is for there to be a standard. How many how many times do you have to cross lanes without signaling, and how many cars do you have to cut off before the vehicle determines this is reckless driving and the driver must be impaired? We need to pull over to the side of the road. That's a rule that the government should set, not something that the the automakers should set on their own. That's what we believe, and that's what this calls for. The legislation calls for a rulemaking of what constitutes reckless driving that that determ that shows impairment. There are always ways around certain kinds of technology. When I've rented a car, I, my, my current cars don't have the lane assist, but when I've rented one that does have it in there, I typically have turned it off just because I'm not used to it. You can turn some of these features on and off if you have the car now. Would this legislation or uh, legislation maybe in the future prevent people from turning these features off so they're always on and always monitoring? You know, Jason, there's a great example of that in the, in all new cars today. So one of the standard things that is now put on all new cars is emergency braking. And you can turn off the system. You can turn off the, the lane assist, for example, or the blind spot detection. They're all part of the same system, but you can't turn off the emergency braking. It's not an option that is included in the turnoff switch. And what we are proposing is that the detection of reckless driving, you may turn off the lane assist, but the car still knows whether you're driving recklessly or not. And what we've proposed in this legislation is that be mandated and not something that the driver can turn off. So once you cross that rule, the, the rule, if you will, that, that NHTSA has to set uh, as per this legislation, once you cross that line, the car will shut down. The car will pull over the side of the road and shut down. And, and it's not something that the driver should be able to turn off. There's a case in New York, for example, of a, a Mercedes where this system was activated. The drunk driver got in the car. The car appropriately pulled him over to the side of the road. He then turned off the system and resumed driving again and then killed somebody. Hmm. We want to prevent that from happening. Right. The, it, there are going to be people like that who don't like this technology. Is that going to be... Don't care. Yeah. Is you, that, there, there, is, there is no right to drink and drive and kill people. And don't try to argue that there is a right for people to do that. What about somebody who says, I haven't had a drink in my life, and they still don't like that technology? Doesn't matter. Then we'll never see the difference. Yeah. It, it, it will not punish somebody who, is, who isn't drunk or otherwise impaired. It only punishes those who shouldn't be driving in the first place. Is They're this... putting other, other people at risk. They're putting other people at risk and killing other people. They have no right to do that. So to me, there is no defense for that argument. It just doesn't make sense. Right. The other issue that I could see coming down the road is 
privacy. People are always worried about privacy, especially in their cars. That's one of the hurdles for uh, driving uh, for for a mileage based. Uh, driving tax or driving fee, if you will, over the gasoline tax. Is this going to stand up to any quote-unquote invasion of privacy challenges that uh, might be inevitable? Okay, so so the only potential uh, privacy challenge that might come up is on the the camera inside the car, and there hasn't been it's it's on a lot of cars already, and there hasn't been anybody objecting to it so far. Or the breath but detection do, seems like that might be an evasion of privacy. Uh, but it, only if it's driving illegally, and so all of a sudden, what are you saying? I have the right to drive illegally? No, you don't. And that gets to the point where where you know you're. If, if it says you're breaking the law, you are breaking the law, and therefore you shouldn't be driving. What privacy protection should you have so that you can break the law and, and kill somebody? That is not, once again, I'll argue, that is not a right that people have. They do not have the right to kill people. Um, and, and so I don't see that as an issue. The camera inside the car is about the only thing to me that raises a privacy issue because it's on the, it's on the driver and... and you know, whatever the driver might be doing and, and the camera can see it, that doesn't necessarily mean that the camera has to record it. I don't I don't think the camera has to record anything other than simply taking data of where the driver might show signs of impairment. And so I, this is another NHTSA rule where NHTSA is going to have to look at, uh, is there a privacy issue here? Do we need to store data that would violate somebody's privacy? And I think that's a, a part of the rulemaking that we'll have to make. If they choose driver monitoring technology as the technology to address drunk driving. I'm speaking with Ken Snyder, vehicle technology expert, executive director of the Shingo Institute. We're talking about uh, driving technology that could possibly end drunk driving and distracted driving and driving very poorly. Uh, could this technology, you think, can lower my insurance rates? The cost of the economy is just the direct cost of the economy. NHTSA did a, a study of this in back in 2012 and then updated the data in 2015. So this is a little bit old, but it's still pretty relevant. They estimate the co- the direct cost of the economy. That means for, for police action, court action, insurance payments, uh, uh, health care payments to people who are injured in drunk driving, they estimate the cost of drunk driving crashes to be about $55 billion a year. And then the indirect cost, and that's like for the, the cost to our family of, of my wife and I, for example, having to go spend three months with our grandchildren, trying to get the family stabilized and therefore not working and so on. The overall cost to the economy is about $250 billion a year. We can, if, as we eliminate drunk driving crashes, that cost will be returned to the economy and not just be wasted the way it is now. There is a huge potential economic impact of stopping drunk driving crashes. And yes, one of the ways you will see that is lower insurance rates. Some states have tried to increase penalties through legislation, but it's been maybe too little to make a difference. What, what would you say to the idea uh, that a, n- not just this kind of technology, but also the idea of a penalty for drunk driving was increased to 
almost ridiculous standards for any other driving offense that it is right now. So let's say you get caught drunk driving uh, at any at any level in your blood. Uh, it's a $50,000 fine and you lose your car and you spend some time in jail. Uh, well, do you think that's a better well, option than, than going through the well, technology route? Well, we have we have some great history to 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 inform that. Okay, so if you go back uh, 25, 30 years ago, there were about twenty five thousand deaths per year from drunk driving, and then we increased we we tightened the law and lowered made a national standard of 0.08 BAC level. We then also started uh, increasing the 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 enforcement that police do. We started educating people, not just the the people who might drink and drive, but also their friends, saying, "Don't let your friends drive drunk." Lots of ads on that, and and we also you know got other safety features around this. And altogether, we we reduced over the course of about ten years. Uh, we reduced the number of drunk driving deaths from about 25,000 down to about 10,000. And from that level of 10,000, it's been pretty steady for the last over about 15 years or so. It's been about 10,000 a year until last year, we saw a significant jump up to 11,400. And this year we're on track to hit over 12,000. I don't know if you know that we're driving less, but we're killing more. Um, due to drunk driving, I think it has to do with the pandemic and just the, the what's going on as a result of that. So we're now seeing an increase in drunk driving despite the education, despite the tighter enforcement, despite all the things we've done over the last 15 years to, to reduce it to less than half of where it was. And I think we've, we've, we've exhausted how much education and enforcement and, and legislation can do it. We're, we're stuck with over 10,000 people dying every year unnecessarily. Technology is a solution that can get us to no more victims. Is there any level of alcohol in your blood that is okay then to drive? Should it be only zero? Well, and, and I will go with the current federal standard of 0.08. If you're under 4.08, they, it has been determined that you can drive safely. Uh, I'm not going to dispute the the science that did helped the federal government determine the 0.08 standard. I know there are a couple of states, including the state where I live, where they have lowered that to a 0.05 because they want to make sure there's margin between where people might be at and what is safe. Um, but... I, I'm not, a, I, I can't comment on the biology of it. And I know it might be different for different people and, and all of that. What I, what this does is it applies a very standard way of determining whether somebody is impaired or not. And if they cross some impairment line that says this person can't drive safely, let's safely park them to the side of the road before they kill somebody. That's all we're asking for. And I asked that question because there was a time a bunch of years ago, I was, uh, when I was uh, the helicopter reporter, I was flying in the helicopter and we were giving uh, the governor, who was uh, John Hickenlooper, a tour uh, at the time, uh, a tour of, I think, uh, I-25 along the south side of uh, Denver. And I was talking to him and I I was telling him about how we were talking about drunk driving. And I I was telling him that it's illegal to be drunk and drive. But it actually wasn't illegal to drink and drive. In other words, I could get in my car, crack open the first beer, drink that while I'm driving. Because my alcohol level is, at that point, well below .08, I am not Mm -hmm. drunk driving, but I am, quote-unquote, 
drinking and in driving. And then he goes, hmm, that's interesting. And then he, that, that helped spur his, uh, his legislation to, to change that, that law where you can't have the open containers and, and that sort right. of thing. So open, uh, it, open containers now is, is common almost everywhere. So exactly. So that's why I was asking you that, that past question, because there are people who say they can acceptably have a glass of wine at dinner and then drive home or a beer at, uh, the wings place after the game and then get home. Yeah. And, and if they're still sufficiently sober to drive that sign, there's, there's also the, an interesting counterpoint. Um, and that was, there's no data on this incidentally, but, the, but police report that they're seeing a, a, an incredible increase in what they are referring to as poly use. I don't know if you've heard that term before. I was not familiar with it until I started advocating with Matt and talking to, to, to people who are involved with this. But polyuse means you like you you may have that beer or glass of wine, but then before you get in the car, you smoke a joint and then you start driving, and you might be at a a point oh three alcohol, but you also have you have pot in your system as well, and that puts you past the threshold of being um, uh, impaired to the point where you can't drive safely, uh, and. Uh, Incidentally, the, the, just the past president of MAD, a woman by the name of Helen Witte, her daughter was killed by a polyuse driver who did not cross the, the BAC threshold, but drove off the road onto a bike path that was 10 feet away from the, the road and killed Helen's daughter while she was skateboarding oh. at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and, and that's an example of polyuse, which technology could be able could sense even if you don't have a alcohol content that would cross the 0.08 threshold that is common in most states. So this technology that you're talking about that might be in the cars, including that uh, breath technology that that's picked up by the steering wheel, could it detect somebody like that who is impaired in that way? Um, no, but the other technologies would. So if, if, if it did a BAC test and said you're under 0.08, so that system doesn't kick in, but you're driving off the road, uh, and, and you're driving so recklessly, it could, it would be able to detect that. So these are the sorts of things that what, what I find interesting is none of these technologies is perfect. There are, there are cases where people are not driving recklessly and then are impaired, and because they're impaired, they kill somebody. And if the, the technology that detects reckless driving would not detect that. But it will detect 80 to 90, what, they, what the industry estimates is 80 to 90% of the time, somebody is driving recklessly enough that the technology should be able to detect it and, and take action. In the case of driver monitoring, once again, you, you, want, you want to make sure the driver, and I'll just give an example because, because I had to have eye surgery and then I used drops that had to dilate my eyes. And I could drive safely even though my eyes were dilated as if I were drunk, okay? And so it can't just use the technology to look at your eyes and say, oh, they're dilated, this guy must be drunk because that's not always the case. You could have dilated eyes and not be drunk. But most of the time, the, somebody behind the wheel who has dilated eyes has dilated eyes because they're drunk. And so these technology, so you can, you can defeat the system, if you will, or the system can't perfectly detect whether or not you're impaired all by itself. 
And once again, 80 to 90% of the time, it's going to be the driver monitoring technology could correctly identify that you're drunk. But when you combine it with your eyes are dilated and you're driving recklessly, then it's like 100% of the time it can figure out you're driving drunk and pull you over to the side of the road. And, and these are the kind of rules that NHTSA has to work through of what system should be used and how will it detect, how threshold do you cross before the car simply says this person is unsafe to drive and pulls over to the side of the road. And you mentioned their rules. As I understand it in, in this legislation, there is language that will have the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration look at all of these different technologies and then try to decide on the recommendations, uh, the best recommendations to install in cars going forward. And I think it has to be done fairly soon because they're they're running they're running at the speed of government. It, you know, you don't want them to take too long. Well, right now the, the 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 there's two bills. There's a House bill and a Senate bill, and they are one year different. But I think they're going to reconcile to the the Senate bill, which calls for uh, NHTSA to make the rule within two years and then give the car makers three years, if I'm not mistaken, to implement it. Um, and what what we'd like to see is is I think they could do that in phases. This is my own opinion and what I'm arguing for is we, we can't let perfect elimination of drunk driving be the enemy of getting better at eliminating drunk driving deaths, right? So if so, even if we just do a software upgrade to the cars that are capable right now, we can eliminate about 80% of the crashes of those new cars. We can't, we might even be able to go back and do a software upgrade to existing cars. So I have a 2018 Toyota that has all of the features that are necessary that if it had the program in there, it could sense whether I'm driving recklessly or not. So it could be upgraded. The software could be upgraded and activated on, you know, retrofitted cars as well. Although the right now the legislation only calls for a mandate on all new cars. But that could be done as soon as the software is available, which, which it could be, uh, you know, for example, take the Volvo system or the Mercedes system and license it out to everybody. And it could be put on almost all new cars fairly quickly. And that would save you know, roughly 80 percent. It's estimated it would save roughly 80 percent of the drunk driving deaths, you know, 80 percent of that 12,000. So we save 9,000 lives. I say let's don't wait three years to figure out that we're going to save 9,000 lives. Let's do that as soon as we can. Let's do that tomorrow if we can. The, the, why has it taken so long to get all of these systems and, and get this software updated in, in these new cars? Why has it taken so long? Do the automakers just not want to do it? Do they not see the benefit in it? I think you have to ask them. I can give my opinion and, and what I've seen. It's interesting. As we went through this legislative battle, and, and, a, and it was a battle, um, the insurance industry supported us 100%. The alcohol industry supported us 100%. The auto makers were the ones that fought us all the way tooth and nail. And so the question is, is why are they fighting safer cars? Why are they fighting technology that could save 12,000 lives a year? Why are they fighting that? And the only answer I can come up with, but this is my interpretation once again, the only answer I can come up with is they want to upcharge it. So if they're going to put technology on the cars, they want to be able to charge a lot of money for it. And what that does, it makes safe cars the haven of rich people and doesn't make it available on all cars so it'll save people. I'm cynical about that, but ask them and see what they say. 
Yeah, that's to my point earlier, that if you have folks that are buying the lower-end cars, yep. the cars in that twenty to $25,000 range, they're not yep. going to be able to uh, absorb that extra cost like you would if you're buying an Escalade. But, but, but the fact is, is right now, they're buying all of the hardware anyway, and the software doesn't cost anything other than a one-time programming change. So don't, don't tell me that it's going to cost people more. That's, that's not true. Will the automakers then say that it's going to cost more to maintain these systems, to do the software upgrades? And even in my car, the, the, I have a 2014 Chevy Volt, and it, it, it needs some software updates. But in order to get that done, GM holds all the software themselves. They won't give it to anybody else. And then the dealership charges, I think it's $250 an hour for their maintenance people just to upload the software. So it's way out of my price range just to have a couple hours of software updates done in my car. (laughs) When I could, I I have the plenty of time and I have a thumb drive, just figure, just give it to me and I'll go do it. But it's, it's another way for them to try to make money. So, so, uh, and, and, and I'm, once again, I'm cynical about this because, because, these are people's lives. This is my daughter's life at stake here and, and future daughters of other people or future wives of other people and future mothers of other people, for example. I, I, I think safety trumps everything. Saving lives trumps everything. Don't tell me you need to charge money for it. That's, that's not true. You can do the right thing by making it safer so that the vehicle can prevent people from dying. Could this technology also be then, uh, I guess, doubled as a way to help reduce the number of texting and driving, cell phone use distractions? Oh, yeah. So so especially the the driver monitoring, the cameras inside the car can see the driver and see whether the driver's texting or not, or see if the driver is distracted by something, or see if the driver's drowsy and going to sleep. Those are, it is especially uh, effective the driving performance monitoring technology can tell if you're drowsy and you're drifting you know it can tell if you're going out of your lane or you keep hitting your your your, if it's pushing you back in some of them if you've got it on it pushes you back into the center of the lane right i don't know if you've seen the lane assist technologies but 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 it can tell if you keep doing that it can you know what i i test my car okay i i I mentioned i have a 2018 toyota i test it i'll drive recklessly i will let it drift and just not do anything and see what it does okay i do this in a safe condition make sure there's nobody around me when i do these tests all right just to be really clear but you know what it says to me it doesn't say anything other than a little warning comes up it says do you need to take a rest huh interesting (laughs) yeah it can do a lot more than that sure it can do a lot more than that but it's already sensing that there's something wrong well, and that's maybe the way to go is, is let the technology help us out. Because before we get to autonomous cars that are just driving us all around without us doing anything in the car, this is, this is basically that next step. This is absolutely the next step. And this is the step that can save just thousands and thousands of lives every single year. And that's why it's a must do. It's, it's an epidemic of death out there uh, on the highways. And it's getting worse during this pandemic. And let's let's just I, I I really appreciate I and I have to give a little shout out. Um, this is this this bill was 
was championed by Representative Dingell of Michigan in the House and Senator Lujan of New Mexico in the Senate. There's some really important uh, members of Congress that joined in as co-sponsors, Senator Peters, Senator Scott, and, and Representative McKinley and so on. They have been absolutely fabulous in supporting the legislation and helping MAD fight for this uh, legislative win. Uh, and they, uh, and I'm, I'm going to embarrass Senator Lujan. Uh, he is a drunk driving sur survivor. He was hit head on by a drunk when he was driving home from work late at night one night. Um, and he says, I still have nightmares about it. There's times I can't sleep at night because I still see headlights coming at me and trying to figure out how am I going to avoid getting killed. And he walked away from it. He says, it's a miracle I'm still alive. It is. And, and. Yeah, and, and and so he's been a, a true champion because he gets it. Yeah, and, and there are many, many stories like that. So what is next? What is the next, after this legislation, what happens next? Well, the, the legislation now goes to NHTSA. They will then have this time period to evaluate the different technologies, determine the best combination, or you know the next phase. What I'm recommending, for example, is they just make driver performance monitoring technology, uh, put the software in all the cars, make it so it can't be turned off, and do that as quickly as possible so we can save as many lives as possible as quickly as possible. But it's not a perfect solution, and it, it, that will save, I think, based upon the data I've been shown by the, by the people in the industry, is it will save 80 to 90% of the drunk driving deaths, though. So it will have an impact. As soon as we start doing that, and the sooner we do it, the better. Then we can look at the other technologies because they're going to take a little bit longer to get on all cars. Um, a, a design cycle for, for a vehicle typically takes a couple of years before anything new can get added to a car. So that we're just going to have to live through that design cycle and the tooling schedule that happens with, with the industry. And hopefully the industry gets on board at some point and stops fighting this and starts embracing it and showing us how they're going to, they're going to meet this standard. Uh, that, that was the case incidentally with, with airbags, you know, they, they fought and fought and fought against airbags, but once it got mandated, they started implementing it faster than the mandate required. And I hope that is the case with this as well. And then it would take another six, eight, ten years as folks have to get through their older model cars yes. to then buy yes. the newer model cars. Yes, exactly. And 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 some of the old, old, old cars that we still see around, you know, twenty year old cars that are still around, we're gonna have to live th live through that too. And and maybe all the drunks will will uh, gravitate towards old cars that won't keep them from driving. I hope not. I just hope the technology works and people recognize this is something that needs to happen to save people's lives. Well, and obviously education still helps, but there are people that will just do it. And it's it's interesting when when I I come across these stories about how drunk some people are, and I've talked to police officers about it, where they've pulled somebody over who might have the blood alcohol of 0.35, something like that. And, these, and these people, because they are so used to drinking and it, to that excess, they're walking around like nothing's happening. It, it's just normal yeah, the, to them. The the woman that killed our daughter was 0.23 when she was tested. And, and you, know, uh, you know, that's almost three times the legal limit. It just blows my mind how drunk she was and still able to even get behind a car. Right. If people want to get some more information uh, from you or from Matt or, or from uh, the Shingo Institute, how do they do that? 
Well, the Shingo Institute is is an exec ed program at Utah State University, so they don't don't bother the institute, but they can contact me if they want, and and my my contact information is on the institute website. But but the best way to do it is is just be involved with MAD. There's local MAD people. There's a, a chapter in every state. You can go to the MAD website. There's a section on there about the legislation under the I think it's mad.org slash halt act. Um, and the HALT Act is the name of the bill that was that was in the House. Uh, it was called the Right Act in the Senate, but HALT Act is where it is on the MAD website. So they can go there. We also on our website have posted the RFI. It's, we outline over 240 different technologies that are available just through our own research we identified that could be used in a way that could help uh, prevent drunk driving. Well, this has been a fascinating uh, discussion here, Ken. I appreciate your time. I'm, uh, again, devastated. Sorry for your loss, and I hope that uh, this will help in the future, not only slow down the, the number of drunk driving deaths, but maybe eliminate it completely. Thank you so much for t- taking the time and getting up to speed and, and sharing it with the public. No, it's my pleasure, Ken. Um, and, and, you know, one of my standard lines when I tell people what time I drive into work, which is about 3.15 in the morning, that is just me on the roads with the semis and the cops and the drunks. And and I have seen drivers who I've suspected of driving impaired. And when I do that, you you could see them coming out of their lane or driving extremely slow while everybody else is going 65, they're going 45. And and when I see them, I I have called them into the police because I, I... obviously think that drinking and driving is a major hazard and I don't want to see anybody hurt including the person that is driving impaired there was this one time when I was going to work and there's this one spot when I'm I'm going on on the major highway and there's this other highway that joins the highway that I'm on and this woman was coming off this ramp goes across the lanes and and then hits the center wall and and basically bounced back out into the center lane and, and came to a stop in the in the interstate and so I come up to her, and it, I was several hundred yards behind this, so I could see what was happening in the distance. And as I come up to her, uh, as she stopped at the center lane, I, I come up and I I, I drive to the her, I guess, the left side, the right side of the car. Anyway, I come up to where her driver's side is, so I could roll down the uh, passenger side window. It's the it's the middle of the you know night or you know early morning, so I'm not going to get out of my car. I know that's even more dangerous. So I have my blinkers on, and I pull up beside her. So I put my my uh, passenger window down, and I look at her, and she, you know, to ask her if she was okay, and and she didn't appear to be hurt at all. And the first thing that she said to me after I asked her if she was hurt, she says, "Can you drive me home?" <laughs> no, no, I cannot. I cannot drive you home. I am not going to drive you home. I want to make sure that you're not seriously hurt. And I was going to, uh, at that point, call the uh, first responders to, to come, the police and the, the fire department, to come help her out. But somebody already did that. And because uh, it was just maybe, a, I don't know, less than a minute later, I see some flashing lights behind me. So they were on their way. Um, and, I, and I stayed until the police arrived. Uh, and I said, no, I'm not taking you home. But she was freaked out. Like, she knew that she was in trouble. And that she just wanted to get out of there at at any cost, 
Um, and, and I don't know if she was impaired because the police took over the situation and I, I moved on, but it sure seemed like it. Um, you know, could, could this new legislation be the solution to stop drunk driving or impaired or distracted driving? Yes, it's going to take some time, as I talked to Ken about, where this legislation is going to have to get the automakers to put this legislation in, get the software systems going. Uh, that could take a couple of years and then another seven, eight, ten years before these new cars are, are prevailing on the roads. Um, but distracted driving, I, I think, is so pervasive right now. And one of the major problems we're dealing with, why, why not try it? Why not give it a shot and see and see what happens? Uh, if you have any questions or comments or concerns about this topic or anything else, you can always drop me a line. Uh, you know, contact me from any of the contact links in the description of the show. And, of course, the listener hotline at 303-832-0217. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luper, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.